This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Bloomberg Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. So I wonder what Santa Claus would have thought about pop-up stores. The only reason I bring it up is there's an interesting story on the Bloomberg today about how mall landlords are embracing one spurned pop-up stores to kind of revive dead zones. Let's uh, dig a little bit deeper into retail and what we're seeing regarding trends and activity this holiday season. Tom McGee is back with us. He's president and uh, CEO at the International Council of Shopping Centers. He joins us on the phone from New York. So what's the last mall you visited and when? I visited many malls. I don't want to point out just one, but <laughs> I, I will tell you, every one I go to is quite crowded. It's a, it's a robust holiday season, and this particular Saturday, Super Saturday, has eclipsed Black Friday as the busiest shopping day of the year, and we expect it to, the robust holiday season to continue. Uh, our estimate is about 111 million people will be out in stores wow. on Saturday tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and you know it speaks to you know some of the trends that we've talked about in the past. You know, strong consumer sentiment and robust job market and a strong economy lead to good retail sales. And so I I I think the trend will continue in the last weekend we're heading into Christmas. Yeah, tell me how people are shopping, Tom, because I think about myself, I do the bulk of it online, and that's my mm-hmm. first priority. Um, and then I like kind of niche shopping, you know, cute boutiques. I do like the pop-ups a lot. Uh, we get a lot of that in New York, right, of just artisans and so on who just kind of come up for the holiday for a few weeks or for a month, and then they're gone. Um, you know, unless it's, uh, you know, the family member says, this is exactly what I want, and I've got to go to a specific store. How are, though, in general, people shopping? You talk about the malls busy, and I find that interesting. Well, I think, uh, first of all, I think we're in the midst of, for lots of the reasons that you just mentioned, Carol, I think we're in the midst of, of a retail renaissance, where I think retail is transitioning from what it was in the past to what it's becoming, and, and what it really is becoming is a consumer channel. Uh, there's really one channel, which is what the consumer wants, and some folks like to shop exclusively in stores, some folks like to shop exclusively online, and many and most like to do both, and um, I think that those retailers that will be most successful are those that you know focus upon that convergence and making a seamless experience whether you shop online or shop in a store I think there's going to be a lot of investment in a store network uh, that it will, quite frankly it'll be a way to not only allow consumers to interact with products and brands it's also a way to fulfill uh, orders that might happen online but people want to come to a store to pick it up for a variety of reasons and then once they're in the store uh, they'll tend to buy something else it, it, the pop-up phenomenon I think speaks to you know broader uh, trends that are in the marketplace where you know people value authenticity authenticity mm-hmm. they yeah. value personalization they value localization and I think you know Ultimately, retail and shopping centers need to curate their mix to meet the needs of the consumers, and consumers value those things today. And so, I think pop-up is a really uh, you know valuable way to do that, an important way to do it. I also think it's a way for digitally native or emerging retailers to try out 
yeah. having a store right. before they make the plunge into having a larger store network. Yeah, it, it's interesting because we talk about uh, Lego having a pop-up, I guess, at the Smith Haven Mall in Lake Grove, uh, New York. And then two online sellers that really helped hurt malls are now coming back to them. We talk about uh, Wayfair, the internet home goods seller, mm-hmm. opened up a pop-up in, uh, is it the Natick Mall in Massachusetts? Did I say it right? Because I always mispronounce. No, Natick. Natick. All my guys yeah, from Boston go. are looking at me like, you are such an idiot, Masser. You're such a New Yorker. And then there's another one at the Westfield Garden State Plaza in New Jersey. Amazon, too, has pop-ups at 17 malls across the United States where customers can kind of test and buy a slew of gadgets. You know, it's interesting. Retail, right? We wrote it off, and now they're kind of figuring out, okay, what do we have to do? Yeah, I think it's look. Retail is the ultimate consumer-facing industry, and so it's you know it's always going to be at the tip of change. Um, and I think we're really starting to see those those retailers that are figuring it out and really looking at it from a holistic standpoint. And holistic means you got to be in both channels right. uh, to be successful. We had a at our recent New York event, we had an area called Retail Focus, which was just an area committed to and devoted to emerging retailers, those retailers that are just starting out or have been digitally native and now thinking about opening up stores. And it was an opportunity for them to you know, to present uh, themselves in a in a big setting uh, to real estate developers and shopping center owners, and I, I I really think that's a huge source of growth. If you look out over the course of the next number of years, digitally native retailers are now going to look to open up stores because, quite frankly, they needed to build their brand. It's also very pro- it's it's profitable. You right, know, it's right. The, uh, oper- uh, the fulfillment costs of operating in an online only model are quite significant in addition to the customer acquisition costs. Yeah, it's got to be about surviving, but also thriving. I love, too, that you remind us, you sent over some notes, you know, you got Casper offering naps on its beds. I'm, I'm into that. Canada Goose <laughs> turning the dressing room into a freezer, right, to really figure out how well it is. Yeah. And you've got Old Navy partnering with Lyft to kind of provide brand, you know, rides to and from the brand stores. I mean, this is clever. Well, it's always to, one, differentiate yourself, certainly, yeah. but it plays to experience. And, and you, you know, you have those examples on one end of the spectrum, and then you have you know a, a more traditional example like a TJ Maxx, which right. is a treasure hunt, right? And there's uh, everything in yep. between. And I think what those retailers that really you know are de- are committed to differentiating themselves across that spectrum will be the most successful. That's what I always tell my husband. I go to TJ Maxx just for the treasure hunt. It's not about shopping. Hey, Tom McGee, have a great holiday season. He's the uh, CEO over at uh, International Council of Shopping Centers. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. While the merry so, bells keep not so merry if you Happy own a lot holidays. of those large tech names, because as we heard from Dave Wilson earlier, our Bloomberg Stocks columnist, shares of large cap internet and tech companies, they are definitely falling today. Fang stocks in particular are on track to close at their lowest levels in months as a lengthy sell-off uh, took another leg down in today's trading. Let's get into this uh, sector and why our next guest believes the tech group is a viable one for investors in 2019. Dan Morgan is back, my second time talking to him this week. I know. <laughs> Vice President and uh, Senior Portfolio Manager at Synovus Trust Company. They've got roughly $22.8 billion in assets under management. He's with us from Atlanta. It is nice to talk with you again. We had a good uh, spirited conversation about uh, Facebook uh, on the TV side on Daybreak Americas. Um, Let's talk about the tech sector because they are continuing to get pummeled, Dan. Does this make sense to you when you look at kind of the financials and the balance sheets and the outlooks of many of these names? 
Well, Carol, I mean, it's interesting because the tech sector, which did better than the S&P 500, right, on the upside, is now underperformed uh, in terms of the major markets. Uh, it's actually dropped off its high much greater than, let's say, the S&P or the Dow Jones. So it's kind of working against them on the downside with all the volatility. I think the, the, the theme to be focused on in technology right now is that we just can't throw all the FANG stocks against the wall or all the tech stocks against the wall and say they're going to do really well. Um, that's pretty much the position we were in, let's say, a year ago from today. We would have just about any tech name really did pretty well in, you know, up to the most recent correction that we saw in the fourth quarter. So. Well, and a year ago, just throw Bitcoin or blockchain yeah. on the end of any company name and everybody just kind of rushed into the name. Exactly, Carol. And, and now I think you just have to be a little bit more discerning in terms of, you know, which companies you want to focus on, which sectors you want to focus on. I mean, you know, we've got – you guys have talked about all the black clouds over these different groups. You've got the social media with Facebook, which we talked about earlier mm-hmm. in the week, and what's going on with them and, and what the ramifications are of these, these leaks. And is there going to be a regulatory issue with them going in? You've got Apple with uh, – there was news out this morning, right, saying that, uh, they're, you know, what's going to happen with the iPhone – the holiday season, lots of lots mm-hmm. of people thinking about that. So, yeah, you've got you've got a lot of noise out there, but there's still other sectors, uh, and we've talked about them before in regards to, for example, the cloud, which is still very viable. We had some very strong earnings reports uh, in the, over the course of the last couple of weeks from Workday and Salesforce. Uh, just give you an, some examples. So, I, I don't think we can say the whole sector is bad, but you know, you have to be you have to be a little sharper okay. than you used to be to pick them out. Right, right. <laughs> be discerning. Right. Go figure. Wow, yeah. there's a new investment concept. Yeah. Yeah. But but wait, okay, so you like the cloud? I get that, and I and I wonder if that's where, like Microsoft, the play there. Is it because of the cloud that you're that you think yeah. that, that's interesting? Yeah, exactly. So Microsoft is one of the FANG stocks, obviously, and that's one of the companies that uh, gets talked about a lot. And and know, it's up sixteen percent this year. Yeah, it's uh, and I think it's now surpassed Amazon and Apple in market cap uh, intra you know intra trading. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Microsoft is interesting because they've been able to make that migration over their intelligent cloud group uh, has been reporting very strong numbers. I think it was up twenty four twenty five percent last quarter, and you know they've carved out a nice space in infrastructure as a service versus Amazon AWS. And they've also made some huge inroads in platform as a service. They're number two or number one player in that space with about 22% market share. So, yeah, you're right. That's an old line name that is ahead of, let's say, Cisco, IBM, HP in terms of making that migration towards faster growth area, which is cloud. Hey, let me just throw some names quickly at you and just say sure. yes, no, kind of quickly or, or sure. what you're thinking is Facebook. So. You still Facebook, like it, right? Yeah, we, we still own Facebook. We have a good-sized position in it. I, I saw today it was hitting almost like a 52-week low <laughs> Sorry. Um, after the bad news. Yeah, so um, – but, yeah, it's going to be a tough sled for them, uh, not only in regards to – we talked about in terms of potential scrutiny coming out of Washington. We don't know what the House going to the Democrats, if they're going to start investigating, you know, in more detail these types of companies. But also you just look at the growth. Um, you know, we're looking for 23 percent top-line growth, but then consensus estimate is showing for basically no growth in earnings, uh, which is probably going to be related to, you know, costs associated with making this migration over to stories and then also increased uh, security and the other things they're trying to beef up on to to try to counter some of these uh, negative headline news that's been coming out yeah. in regards to leaks. So, yeah, Facebook is going to be a bit of a tough sled here, I think, over the course of next year. So uh, for your listeners that are in the stock, it, you know, I wouldn't expect a lot uh, in the near term. But you're not putting a hold or, or you do you're still got to buy on it, don't you? 
We, what we have, Carol, is that we have a buy list of quite a few tech names that we can nibble off of. The portfolio managers make their own decisions of the timing of whether that purchase is prudent. Yeah. Uh, in terms of Facebook, it's on the buy list. We will hold it for existing accounts, uh, whether it makes sense today uh, to add in terms of new monies. Um, right. You know, like I said, I would be kind of on a hold pattern right now to try to see things can wash out a little bit more. It's down 42% from its high. It's really yeah, been cut in half. Brutal. Hey, you got to be quick. 15 seconds. What's your most interesting idea in uh, tech, just quickly. Um, well, I mentioned Microsoft also like Salesforce and Workday. Mm-hmm. Those are two cloud companies uh, that I think investors can take a, a really hard look at yeah. uh, being uh, leader in right. software as a service and then also HCM with Workday. So those are two names uh, along with yeah. Microsoft. Cloud sounds like it's still going to continue to dominate in 2019. Dan Morgan, have a great, great holiday season. Great to catch up again. Dan Morgan over at Synovus Trust Company on the phone from Atlanta. You are listening to Bloomberg. Let's start the new year right, 12 o'clock tonight, when they dim the light, let's begin. So, talk about beginnings. Uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg, man, he just keeps kind of reinventing uh, himself and really just kind of getting into new uh, technologies and new ways of doing things. And right now he's got a company out, it's called The Wonder Company, and it's a consumer tech holding company. It's part private equity shop, part incubator, and part old-fashioned venture investor. Lizette Chapman wrote this story. She's venture capital reporter at Bloomberg News, and she joins us from our 960 studio in San Francisco. This story, by the way, part of the technology section this week in uh, the Bloomberg Business Week magazine. Lizette, good to have you here. Um, talked about uh, this story with my co-host Jason Kelly earlier this week. Jeffrey Katzenberg, just remind everybody, I mean, this is one of the founders of DreamWorks. Yeah, that's right. So this is Jeffrey Katzenberg's uh, new um, take. He's reinventing himself. He has gotten together with the an early employee from Dropbox, um, Sujay Jaswa, and together they've pulled together this team kind of combining Hollywood and tech to create a holding company that, as you described, um, kind of uses all of the security and um, and you know nice uh, dependable revenues that you can get from private equity plays along with these crazy moonshot bets that you get from venture capital that these eye popping returns that give you 20x 30x those types of things and so it's all under this one umbrella and he's got a you know Bulgaria um, jewelry heiress as a investor and he's got um, different you know uh, movie um, icons and moguls and and a bunch of just old-fashioned private equity endowments and and the like, all backing this new holding company. Yeah, it's fascinating. Talk to us a little bit about where he's investing, the types of companies uh, that he's investing into. Because I know he likes things like right esports, podcasting. These are the things that kind of uh, really have caught his attention. Well, yes, from a pure numbers point of view, but when you look at the actual dollars, it's like a rounding error. I mean, it's basically like a Christmas party, um, <laughs> you know. Um, so Good it goes know. into a bunch of different buckets. The first ones are these, um, you know, these very old kind of kick it down the road, not very exciting plays like Anchor Free and Infatuation and Mixcloud that have been around for a decade, but they really need some elbow grease to to pull it together. They need money um, or they need some help with, um, you know, to grow users and optimize revenues and the like. And that's the case for Anchor Free, which, um, you know, has been wildly successful. It's a mobile security app. It's very popular. It's been downloaded over 650 million times, but it hasn't had a lot of money. Um, you know, Goldman Sachs um, sold their shares to um, Wonderco in a very 
um, you know, very, very, very cheaply. It was pretty much at the same price that they bought them for six hmm. years previous. Um, and, and Wonderco came in and, and bought a controlling stake and infused it with $295 million more um, with the help of a lot of other investors. So that's one pocket. The other pocket, like you said, you know, besides those private equity type deals, are these like these podcasting and esports and all these new sexy cool areas that they are expecting a lot of growth, but they really don't want to bet the farm on it. So mm. they just put a little bit in, maybe ten thousand a pop, which is like I said, is is not a lot. Then there's Quibi. <laughs> Bum, <ba-da-ba. laughs> Tell us about that. Okay, well that's his largest well, undertaking, right? Yeah. Again, um, you know, and this is one of the things that Wonderco's investors really like is that um, you know if 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 it goes well, um, it'll be like a T-bill rate of return. But if it go, if, if it doesn't go well, it'll be a T-bill rate of return because everything's protected. But if it hits huh. it big, it'll hit it super big. And so they do have some money in Quibi. It's their second largest investment. Um, they've got backing from a dozen different movie studios, including Walt Disney, 21st Century Fox, Time Warner. And what it is, is they're looking to do these very short form, which they call Quick Bites, hence Mm -hmm. the name, Quibi, like mobile content for your phones. So they're looking at super highly polished content, like Game of Thrones quality, but in five minute chunks. And they're looking to make discovery seamless, so it just pops up, you don't spend your time scrolling. And um, they're going to do ad and also subscription, they're looking to launch in 2020. But there's a few problems or challenges maybe with it. I don't know about problems, but they're, they're, they're facing a few headwinds. Well, it so sounds we'll expensive to do. Is it? I mean, yeah. 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 It's very expensive. Um, and they are paying all of the production costs um, up front, and they don't retain the rights indefinitely, which makes it huh. a no-brainer for these studios to come in and, and partner with them because they've got nothing to lose. But right. for Quibi, it could be very, very expensive. In fact, our own Bloomberg Intelligence found that the um, average price to produce um, an episode um, doubled to $5 million this year from For 10 or 15 ago. minutes of programming? Uh, this was for hour long. Oh, okay. hour long. Okay. Yeah, got it, got exactly. Uh, apologies. So, um, okay. yeah, so for an hour long, it doubled to $5 million, and this comes as there's a whole bunch of competition, you know, from Netflix and from Amazon and other streaming, um, you know, providers to to fill that content void and, and hope to entertain us in a different way. I also thought it was interesting that Quibi's CEO is Meg Whitman. I forgot yeah. kind of where she landed. <laughs> Right? I mean, that's right. So, uh, listen, I would never bet against. I mean, Jeffrey Katzenberg, to be fair, has has accomplished a lot and, and is certainly uh, respected, I would say, in the LA area, right? Uh, I'm just curious, Silicon Valley, um, how do they feel about what he's doing? We just got about 30 seconds left. You know, I think there's a huge amount of respect for what he has built and for how he constantly. Hustles, you know. He we, when we met with him um, earlier this month in in Hollywood, when we talked about kind of what what he was planning out, he said, you know, it's never no, it's just not yet. <laughs> so he is a wheeler dealer. He's got a Rolodex which goes back fifty years, and he said to Sujay Jaswa, mm. who's you know much, you know thirty right. years or so his his junior, he said, hey. He goes, this is not just my show, it's yours. So it's really Good. a combination of the two. Great story. Check it out. It's at uh, in the magazine and also you can check it out online. Lizette Chapman of Bloomberg News. Thank you so much. So... Satchel, make him hurry, tell him he- 
definitely making it when it comes to the tech universe is everything, it seems, that is involved in the cloud. In fact, the Gartner Group reporting that software as a service, SaaS, remains the largest segment of the cloud market with revenue expected to grow almost 19% to reach $85.1 billion in 2019. Let's get some thoughts on the industry. David Spitz is Managing Director of Technology Group over at KeyBank Capital Markets, joining us from San Francisco. So, David, uh, we talked earlier uh, with Dan Morgan over at Synovus, and when I asked him about tech for 2019, he's really interested in terms of investment bets on those companies that play into the world of the cloud, and that includes names like Microsoft and others. Tell me how you see it and what we need to know about uh, the SaaS industry, the SaaS market as we head into a new year. Sure. Uh, thank you. Um, so the the you know the biggest cloud companies, of course, are the ones like Amazon in their with their AWS business, which is a twenty five billion dollar business, incredibly growing uh, in the, the world of about twenty five thirty percent a year. Microsoft, of course, as well. But the pure plays are the SaaS companies. They're the software as a service applications companies, the largest of which by far is Salesforce.com. But there are literally about seventy five pure play software as a service companies, and these companies are typically growing even even faster than that Gartner number you quoted. They're typically growing on average about 30%, the ones that we're tracking. So it's a pretty robust industry uh, with a lot of activity on the financing side, uh, both public and private, and of course, the M&A side. Yeah, it's really fascinating. I'm just doing a quick, let me just do a quick cal- calculation here on the Bloomberg. But you look at a name like um, Salesforce, even with the market decline, uh, it is down, I think, about 23% from its high, but Salesforce shares are still up about 20% this year. So investors still pretty enthusiastic about the name, despite kind of the market downturn. Uh, and I do believe that was one name that Dan Morgan said he liked as well. So give me some of the more pure plays that maybe are some of the names that we don't talk about day in and day out that you think bear some attention by investors. Of course, yeah. So um, it, you really do step down in terms of market cap pretty significantly after Salesforce, but there are uh, Salesforce is, you know, basically about a $13 billion revenue company uh, this year. You've got companies in the kind of 2 to $3 billion range in terms of revenues now, not market cap, companies like Workday, ServiceNow, um, which are reasonably well-known. These companies, again, are growing, you know, 30 to 40% on a top-line basis. Um, and, uh, and then as you dip down, there are companies that are, you know, we've had about 15 companies go public, companies like Anaplan this year, a few years ago, we had Twilio. They're entering the ranks of almost a billion-dollar revenue company, and so there's yes, you're 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 correct. You know, the, they've come down a lot from the highs in mid-September, but most of them are up year to date. Interestingly, they trade at this point still uh, at about seven times forward revenues. If you can wrap your uh, brain around that, um, yeah. that is uh, down uh, from about almost 10 times forward revenues right. uh, in that mid-September time frame. But still, um, you know, these companies are growing faster than they were a few years ago. And still, so that forward multiple is still higher than what it's been on average over the last seven or eight years, which well, is pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like we don't talk, whenever we talk tech, somebody's always going to talk about the cloud because everybody's increasingly uh, moving into that space. David, thank you so much. David Spitz is Managing Director of Technology Group at KeyBank Capital Market, Markets on the phone from San Francisco. I'm driving in my car. 
I turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive on. Excuse me, I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That punk music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. Time for the drive to the close. Nice to check in before the holiday with Doug Sioka, CEO and partner at Kavar Capital Partners. Roughly $670 million in assets under management. Joining us from Leewood, Kansas. Can you feel the tremors on Wall Street, <laughs> Doug, so far away? We can, yes. I mean, very clearly. No question. No well, question. Help me make sense of it, Doug. You and I have both seen a lot of market cycles. This certainly doesn't feel like the financial crisis of 07, 08, at least no, to agreed. me. Um, and I'm trying to make sense of it. People say we're going to have growth next year. We're still going to see earnings growth, maybe not as strong as we've seen over the last couple of years. We're not necessarily going to be in a recession. Um, right. What's the problem here? Have we all forgotten that interest rates actually do go higher? No, not at all. I, you know, it, and I think so much, and Paul and I were just having this conversation offline, it, it's like we've had this front row seat to this self-inflicted wound parade, and it, it's running right through the center of Washington, D.C. And, you know, this was a big week, and there were so many different events that were going to have impacts. None was going to be overshadowed by the Fed and Jay Powell's press conference, obviously, but but, but Trump and, and, and the congressional leaders at this point are maybe overshadowing that even more, given the extent of the losses that have ensued even after the Fed meeting concluded. So I don't know, it, 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 there's a lot of mixed messaging, Carol, and I think that is what is sort of taking away sort of the, the undercurrent and, and the cozy fabric of thinking that bureaucrats have our back on Wall Street coming from Washington. And I think that the confidence decay in a thin market just because of lower volume, given the holiday week's I think that is exacerbating some of these moves, but undeniably, they're areas of concern. No doubt. Right, right. And you say thin market, and I get that, and that's how it can certainly exacerbate moves. And, and um, you know, I don't want to be a cheerleader for the market either, but, you know, it's been really kind of a, a, continua, a continuously uh, moving down market for the most part since, like, September. A fair amount of volatility, right? We, we popped up again at some point in November, but it's been tough to kind of get back to those levels that we saw back in September. I don't know. When you look at this market, you're talking to folks, you're talking to investors. Um, I don't know. Are people willing to put more money to work? Or are they saying, you know what? I can actually make some money in cash right now, Doug. So let's let's be a little bit more conservative here. They can. It's a nice alternative for the first time in many, many years, right, to right. see that yields on – um, on money market accounts and in reasonably short maturity CDs are in the two two and a half percent range. Shoot the six month Treasury bill to two fifty three. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that it's nice to have those alternatives. I think it's the job as a money manager, particularly in light of the pullback that you've just mentioned from the third of October through today. I mean, you're talking about it. The small cap index it's down twenty one percent, and the Nasdaq twenty, and an S and P sixteen. I think responsibly you want to be rebalancing, and when the selling is as indiscriminate as it has been, you don't necessarily have to be as preoccupied about active management and alpha seeking. It could be a really good opportunity to weave in some core beta to portfolios and use some passive vehicles to get exposure to reweight toward the proper targets to hit your long run objectives. Well, so I think that should be in the conversation. And I do wonder too is, you know, hmm. 
if you're a stock picker, you've got to be looking at some of these names and saying, I mean, man, Facebook, and I know there's a lot of stories and, and we're trying to figure out what, what's the future of Facebook, certainly with, you know, some of the stories and the concerns over privacy and use of data and whether or not there'll be greater regulatory oversight. But that stock's down 40% this year. But there's, there's a lot of other names I could throw out because there really hasn't been any place to hide, certainly on the equity side of things, unless, you know, maybe no you were, were, were in a, a utilities or something like that. Um, but I do say, like, do you do you have names that you like? Again, I'm talking equities that you're saying, sure. you know what, this makes sense now. This is a good entry point. Or do you say, I'm going to wait because we can be even a more attractive uh, entry point come January? Yeah, and there may be. And, and I think that it, it maybe is one as opposed to both feed in at the same time. And when the market has seen a, a, a veritable capitulation of the majority of its component companies, right, if 65% of all the companies in the S&P are now down 25% from their highs this year, right, there are a lot of companies that have been the babies thrown out with that bathwater. So, and it, we have a number of individual names that are on our list. I think every investment advisor has looked at stocks over years that have maybe been a bit too expensive to meet their filters or their quant screens. That now has opened up a new wide range of potential new targets, which is really, really exciting. But the excitement factor can only be exhibited once you feel like you've made it through some of the stormiest parts of the market and start to see a little bit of a clarity. And not that you're ever going to hear an all, cl- all, all clear bell sound before you need to step in. Right. So maybe go in a little bit, but understand that there are some areas that need resolution. And by that, I really do think, to your point, yes, interest rates need to go higher. But I really am in the camp of, of sort of the tone deafness of, of Jay Powell from his conference or from his press conference the other day that it was tried to get walked back a little bit by John the Williams New York today. Fed Governor yeah. Williams this morning. And he did a good job initially, but then again, it was sort of uh, overtaken by some of the issues coming out of Washington. But it's funny because I really kind of was uh, curious about after the Fed meeting and I thought, well, Jay Powell kind of balanced a lot of stuff in there. And he said, you know, I feel pretty comfortable about where we are in terms of the economy right now. We're watching the data points. We are watching markets. Um, but it makes sense to raise. So you thought he shouldn't have raised rates then? I, I, if he was going to raise rates, which would have been consistent with what he said three weeks ago, on which, the new, on which that uh, press conference, the market went up, I don't know, 650 points. It was the last up week. It was the first week after Thanksgiving. But my, my criticism or my concern with his commentary was I do feel like he was sensitive to being characterized as pandering to the stock market in, in that proverbial Greenspan and Bernanke put. He didn't want there to be a Powell put, and that's great. I think he exhibited that independence, and I love the fact that he's out of industry and not academia. Right. But I thought it would have been interesting for him to have pointed out that the cost of funding now is really moving higher, right? Three-month LIBOR rates are at or over 10-year bond rates, mm-hmm. right? That's happened twice in the last 25 years. Once was 2008, which is obviously very recessionary. The other time was in the mid-'90s, which was not. But if you are a private equity investor, of which he is a veteran, you are thinking, okay, when I set a positive internal rate of return, I have to be able to finance my operation profitably right. by borrowing at a very low rate and investing at a much higher rate of return. And if you have a growth decline that's being exhibited by a cresting of GDP, 
and a considerable, which he mentioned, drop-off in inflation expectations, right. it does make it concerning to think that that tightness in the market can sustain an additional withdrawal of liquidity, which is what they're doing by raising rates. That was a really, really smart point you just made and smart argument. So um, I'm going to leave it on that note because that was, that was brilliant. Um, Doug, good to check in with you. I wish you and your family really well through the holiday season, and uh, nice to check in. We'll talk to you in the new year. Doug Sioka, he is Chief Executive Officer Partner at Kavar Capital. Partners, uh, $670 million in assets under management uh, on the phone from Leewood, Kansas. Uh, we really do have to think about the cost of capital, certainly for businesses, and how that impacts uh, what they do. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio.